You can take your seat and pull out your bulletin if you'd like so that you can follow along as we get into the Word of God today. And just very quickly, as I did last week, but a lot quicker, this time I want to just review what we've been looking at, what the Lord has already been speaking to us. We are in our third week in this series called Heaven open and we've been experiencing not just talking about it but as we've been fasting and praying and seeking the Lord we've been experiencing what it's like to be under the open heaven and I believe that this is just the tip of the iceberg this is just the beginning of a move of God of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit of the revival that God has called us into come on somebody say heaven is open and as we look at our theme verse this is our theme scripture for this series, Heaven Open, it's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. Come on, somebody say 222. That makes it a little easy to remember, right? It says, in him, that's in Christ, you too. Come on, tell somebody, you too. You too are being built together to become a what? Uh-oh, y'all weren't ready for that one. You too are being built together to become a, a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit, right? What is a dwelling? It's a house, right? Literally, when you, when you, in, in the city, in the, in the, um, like in, in the county and in the city where you get permits and all that kind of thing, they refer to houses as dwellings, right? A dwelling is where someone lives. And I've said it many times, and I just want to say it again, you know, our lives, yes, but also us as a people, as a church, we're not seeking to just have a place where God sometimes shows up and visits, but to be a people where God can dwell, to be a people where God can live by his spirit. That is what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. And we believe that according to the scripture and according to what we observe around the world today, that since the day of Pentecost, heaven has been open for business. Come on, somebody say it again. Heaven is open. We aren't waiting for the rain of heaven. We are living in the time of rain. Amen? We are, the people of God aren't waiting for revival to come. Revival is waiting on the people of God to live under the heaven that has been opened since the day of Pentecost. The presence of God is manifesting, but not everybody is hosting him, right? And I know that you, together with, with me, and all of us together, as a church, as a ministry, as the people of God, we want to host him, right? We don't just want to talk about God. We want to experience God. We don't just want to experience momentary touches of his presence. We want our lives and our church to literally be a place like we talked about last Sunday, like Solomon's temple that God said, I've chosen this place. I've chosen and I believe he's chosen us. I want him to choose me. I want him to choose us to be the place where his presence dwells, where his presence is always welcome. Come on, somebody say welcome. And with the first Sunday, two Sundays ago, we talked about the idea that prayer positions us, right? And if we want to be hosts of the presence of God in our own life, and if we want to be hosts of the presence of God in our church, then it is the atmosphere and the culture of prayer that will position us. It'll put us in the right 
positioned to experience the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, right? Prayer positions us. And I'm telling you, we are on, I can't remember what we are on today. Is this day 14 or 15 of our 21 days of fasting and prayer? Let me tell you, the presence of God during the, the week when we come in here at, at noonday prayer and Friday night prayer and Saturday brunch prayer, the presence of God is just so real. And I believe that we're tapping into something new, to something fresh, because we are positioning ourselves through prayer to be the dwelling place of God, to be a house for God. And then last Sunday, we learned about humble hunger, right? And we can't say it enough. We need him. I need him. I'm not okay without more of him. I'm thankful for what he's done in my life. But today, I need him more than ever before. And I'm not ashamed and I'm not, ashamed and I'm not afraid to say I need him now more than I needed him yesterday. I'm hungry for more of him. Are you hungry for him today? And that leads us to today, to part three. And if you want to follow along, again, in, your, in, in the inside of your bulletin, there's an outline. There's a question. The name of, the title of today's message is, what do you have in your house? That's a dangerous question. Why don't you ask somebody, what do you have in your house? Oh, I, that, that, that one wasn't very loud. Let's try that again. What do you have in your house? Oh, there's a lot of ways to ask that question, right? We could say, what do you have in your house? Or what do you have in your house? What do you have in your house? (laughs) Today, it's what do you have in your house? And that's going to make sense in just here in a minute. For this message today, we're going to read two very similar stories, okay? They are different stories with different prophets and different ladies, And different people involved, but they're two very similar stories. And both of these stories, although there's some different elements to both stories, both of these stories communicate some of the same principles to us, okay? Come on, somebody say, what do you have in your house? And for this, we're going to go to 1 Kings and 2 Kings, all right? 1 Kings, and was the last time you read the books of Kings? I love reading Kings. Sometimes make me real mad, but I love reading 1 and 2 Kings, right? We're going to look at 1 Kings and 2 Kings. And as we look into 1 Kings, this is the time period of the prophet Elijah. Everybody say Elijah. Elijah. Okay, Elijah with a J, okay? And Elijah, if, if you've read the story, you, you remember, but if you haven't, let me tell you. God used Elijah to, to attempt to and in some ways, successfully call Israel, call the people of God back to God, right? To turn their attention back to God. And the way that, the main way that he did it was that he gave Elijah the power to proclaim a drought, okay? And Elijah declared the heavens will be closed for three and a half years it happened, okay? And so there was a three and a half year drought. And what happens when there's a a drought? When there's no water, what happens to the crops? There's no food. What do we call that? A famine, right? So Elijah was a prophet, and the story we're about to read is in the midst of this long drought and famine, all right? Somebody say, what do you have in your house? That's a very interesting question when you're in the middle of a famine. 1 Kings chapter 17, literally, not spiritually speaking, but spiritually and physically, naturally 
speaking, heaven was just closed, okay? First Kings 17, we're going to read 8 through 16. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow. Now, those words right there are really important, okay? Because when you read the rest of the story, you're going to realize she didn't quite get the memo yet, okay? But the Lord told Elijah, I have instructed a widow. I already instructed her, okay, to do what? To feed you. So he went to Zarephath. And as he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks and he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me a bite of bread too while you're at it, right? I'm not just thirsty. I'm a little bit hungry. While you go get that water, could you just bring me some bread? Too? Now, now listen, remember drought and he's asking for water. Come on. It wasn't like asking you for water today. If I go to your house and ask you for a cup of water, whatever, you have running water. This widow was living in a drought and he asked her for water. This widow was living in the middle of a famine and he asked her for bread, okay? Give me a little bit of bread. But she said, I told you she didn't get the memo, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. Uh, and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal and then my son and I will die. There was a very grim outlook, right? But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do what you've just said, but make a little bit of bread for me first. And somebody would say, how insensitive of this. Who does he think he was asking this poor woman? All she was trying to do was fix a final meal for her son and her so they could eat it and die. And he's give me some first. There's a lot more to it than that. It had nothing to do. It had nothing to do with insensitivity or greed on Elijah's part. Okay, you're about to see. He said, don't be afraid. Just go ahead and do that, but give me some first, okay? Then use what's left over. I'm sure she was thinking there's not going to be any left over. I already told you there's only enough for this, right? But he says, use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, there will always, there will always be flour and olive oil left in the containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said. And she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord promised through Elijah. Come on, somebody say Elijah. Elijah. Now say Elisha. Elisha. We're changing from a J to a SH, right? Elijah, Elisha. Elisha was literally Elijah's protege. I mean, for the final few years of Elijah's time on earth and his ministry, Elisha was his assistant, and he learned everything from Elijah, okay? And I'm sure, I don't know exactly if Elijah was already his assistant in 1 Kings 17. He may have been, but if he wasn't, I know he heard this story, okay? So now we're, we're, we're to the time of Elisha. And this is 2 Kings 4, if you want to follow along in your Bible or on the screen. One day, the widow, hmm, sounds like a theme, huh? The widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, 
My husband who served you is dead, and, and you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. And then Elisha says, and, and, th- and this, I don't know how he said it, so I'm going to say it in different ways. He says, how can I help you? Or he said, how can I help you? Or maybe, how can I help you? <laughs> or how can I help you? I don't know how he said it, but come on, somebody say, how can I help you? And then the next phrase just gets me. I read it, I read it, and I read it again and again. It's like, he's saying, how can I help you? And then he asked this strange question. He says, what do you have in the house? <laughs> how can I help you? And I, I don't know if all of a sudden he said, how can I help you? And the light bulb went off in Elisha's brain or spirit or whatever. I don't know. But he says, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? Come on, somebody say, what do you have in your house? Nothing at all, (laughs) except a flask of olive oil. If she only knew what she had. Nothing at all, she thought, (laughs) except a flask of olive oil, she replied. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. I don't know why he wanted her to shut the door, but something was going on, right? And he says, pour olive oil from your flask into the jar. Sometimes when we do what God calls us to do, it's behind closed doors, y'all. Sometimes God calls us to do something, and it's not something to proclaim to the world and let everybody see what I'm doing. Sometimes I'm pouring out what I have in private, right? But he, he says, shut the door and, and do this and, and, and go and borrow all these empty jars. And I want you to start pouring into these jars. And so she did that. She for, poured from her flask into the jar, setting one each aside when it was, when, when it was is filled, he said. So she did it. Her sons kept bringing jars to her. And she filled one after another with a little bit of oil at the bottom of her olive oil flask. <sighs> Somebody's getting it. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar. She, 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 was, she got it now. She's like, keep them coming on in. And basically the story goes, we out of jars. We've got every, everybody done gave us their jars, right? There's none left. Bring me another one. There aren't any more, he told her. Then the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, Now, sell the olive oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what is left over. Y'all ready to run with this? In both stories, in both stories, the widow in each story had to use what was in her house in order to unlock the heavens over her life and participate in heaven's miracle. In both stories... In both stories, the widow had to use what she had in her house, what she had in her possession, right? What was in her, you, should, you could say, what, she, what was hers. She had to use it in order to unlock the heavens and participate in heaven's miracle in her life. And sometimes, y'all, many times the key to seeing heaven open over our life is literally on the inside of our house. Sometimes the key 
to seeing God pour out his blessings, his presence, his spirit, his miracles in our life. Literally, the key to it isn't something that's on the outside. It's something that's in our house. Come on, somebody say, what's in my house? Now, both widows did something very interesting, and I want you to just kind of kind of bear with me on this one, okay? Both widows, the widow in each story had to confess. Everybody say confess. What was in her house? Both widows had to, they, it wasn't just a, a known. It wasn't just a given. She only has some flour and some oil and she has a little bit of, no, no, no. Both of them read both stories and both of them said, all I have is this. This is what's in my house, Right. Both of them had to confess what was in their house, and they had to be willing to pour it out in order to experience more of God. They had to be willing to own up to what they had in their house. They had to be willing to honestly say, this is what I have. This is all I've got. And then not only be willing to confess it, not only be willing to be honest about what they had, but they had to be willing to pour it out and use it so that God could invade and do his work, right? And you know, this is in your outline here, but so many times our more Lord prayers should be a lot more like, have more of me, Lord, Come on, I'm going to say that again because I, I want us to really get that. Many times our prayers of more, Lord, more, I want more of you should be more prayers of have more of me, Lord. Because God, as we've been learning, heaven is open. God isn't holding out on us. We don't have to beg and twist God's arm for him to pour out his spirit and his blessings in our life. We don't have to beg and, and try to convince God for, uh, for him to allow us to experience his presence, his power, his glory in our life. Many times when we're seeking more of the Lord, the more proper attitude would be, have more of me, Lord. It's all available. Heaven is open. The Holy Spirit is 100% available and unlimited. But how much space am I making in my life for the open heaven? As we've learned, sometimes we're just not aligned. Sometimes we're just not properly positioned to experience all that is available. Jesus said it pretty clearly, and here's where it's going to get a little bit tough. Is that all right? Can we just go there this morning? Luke 9, 23 and 24, he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my disciple, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your oil and your flour and your water, if you try to hold on to your own life, if you try to hang on to it, you will lose it. I, I, I dare to say, if the first if widow in First Kings would have said no to Elijah, she would have baked her last meal and died. I dare to say that if the widow in Second Kings would have not been uh, uh, willing to pour out what she did have, the oil would have dried up and that would have been the end. They would have carried her sons off as slaves, right? The thing is, Jesus said, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. 
And as I was contemplating this this week, this is what I kept hearing the, the voice of the Holy Spirit say to me. This is what Jesus is saying. If you want to know what I know and you want to do what I do, you've got to empty yourself of yourself and your ways so that you can be filled with me and my ways. How many of us want to know what Jesus knows and do what Jesus does? Because come on, somebody, that's what it means to be a disciple. Disciple doesn't mean somebody who just knows about Jesus. Disciple means somebody who knows what he knows. Remember what Jesus told the disciples? You're my disciple, so I tell you the secrets. I speak to everyone else in parables, but you're my disciples, and I tell you the secrets of the kingdom. And he also told his disciples, you'll do greater things even than I've done. Does anybody want to know what Jesus knows and do what Jesus does? That's what it means to be a disciple. And basically he's saying, if you want to know what I know and you want to do what I do, Hunter, you've got to empty yourself of you. You've got to let go of, abandon, give up your own way, your own desires, your own agenda, the way you think it should be, the way you think things should go, even the way you think I should do things. So that you can be filled with me in my ways. I'm sorry, baby. I wasn't screaming at you. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Poor thing that want to give up her way. Oh, <laughs> precious baby. Whew. In my own personal experience... I'm just going to put it out there. Is that all right? Many times. When I found myself feeling, come on, somebody, empty, dry. I'm just so dry. How many of us say, We're, I'm just in a dry season? You don't have to be. You can be, but you don't have to be. If I found myself feeling empty, dry, and just, I'm not full of God, if I'm really honest, it's because I'm full of myself. Maybe, just maybe, I have gone and picked my life right back up instead of the cross. And instead of taking my cross and following him daily, maybe that which I decided at one point to not hang on to, or I know I'm not supposed to hang on to, or I know I, I need to give up, I know I need to, maybe, just maybe, I've gone and picked it right back up and then try to follow Jesus like that. And, and I'll tell you firsthand from personal experience, I've tried to follow Jesus like that sometimes, and you don't do nothing, you don't follow nobody. Well, <laughs> you might follow somebody, <laughs> but it won't be him. I have realized that on most, I would dare say, maybe almost all occasions where I feel like, where I just don't feel him. I don't feel his presence. I'm not, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not really full of the Holy Spirit. I, it's because if I really am honest, I'm full of myself. I'm hanging on to, holding on to, come on, insisting on my way. 
my ways of doing things, right? And I find it interesting, again, that both widows had to do some emptying in order to experience fullness. And first king, she had to empty out, right, her last supply of oil and flour. In second kings, the widow had to empty out her olive oil into what kind of jars? Empty ones, right? The widows had to empty out, and the second widow had to have empty jars for it to even work, right? Come on, somebody say, emptiness brings fullness. They had to be empty. And so sometimes we've got to get rid of our own oil to make room for God's oil. You may say, what in the world does that mean? (laughs) Well, the oil in the Bible represents the anointing, represents the manifest presence of God. That thing that we say when we say, I want more of you, we're really talking about I want to feel you. I want to experience you in my life for real. I don't want to just know what the Bible says and know what other people say. I want to experience you for real. I want more of you. What we're talking about, biblically speaking, is the anointing. It's the oil, right? But we have to make room. We've got to get rid of our own oil sometimes so that we can experience him. So I was just thinking through this. Okay, well, that's a great concept. Jesus, you just kind of... Let us have it with that one. If I really think about my own personal life, and I think about the way we live, modern day America, Christianity, whatever, I thought, there's about five things, or five maybe categories of things I need to empty myself of so that I can be full of him. You guys all right? The first one, I've got to empty myself of false gospel expectations. If what I'm about to say hurts a little bit, welcome to the club. It hurt to write it. Now, I'm not talking about a false gospel, so I want you to follow along with me, okay? False expectations of the gospel. Because rather it's just what you made up in your mind or it was preached to you. The gospel of Jesus Christ has oftentimes been portrayed as a, an invitation into a nice, comfortable life. Or an easy, comfortable life. But you may have noticed by now, that following Jesus for real, sometimes ain't all that comfortable. Sometimes following Jesus means going against the grain, going against the flow, changing things that you might not want to change, abandoning some relationships you might want to keep holding on to, changing the way you talk, changing what you see, changing what you hear, changing the substances and stuff you put in your body that might be comfortable. But let me tell you what a big one is. I don't know where we got this from, 
But there's this idea that following Jesus is going to make me like cool. And a lot of what is portrayed and proclaimed as Christianity today is nothing more than a bunch of culturally relevant cool people with the name of Jesus attached to them. But if you look at their life and the fruit of their life, how they talk, how they act, how they treat their spouse, how they treat their children, how the, their, their sexuality, the, 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 what they eat, what they drink, what they hopefully don't smoke but do. How they behave towards others. If you look at it, huh? I, there's not much of Jesus that I see there except just the name and the really cool songs that they sing about it, right? Following, that is a false expectation. If you think following Jesus is going to make you comfortable and give you an easy life, it's not the real Jesus. Following Jesus will cause great discomfort. That's why I really truly believe, this hit me like just thinking and praying about this a while back. Maybe that's why Jesus said the Holy Spirit is the comforter. Because he knew, not just when, we, when some, someone close to us passes away or we go through some sort of difficult circumstance. No, no. Following him is uncomfortable sometimes. And sometimes the only way to experience comfort is because the comforter, the Holy Spirit, gives us that comfort. Come on, is anybody else happy that the Holy Spirit is the comforter today? Because sometimes following Jesus is, uh, is uncomfortable. And let me give you another one. This is very prominent and prevalent, an expectation of the gospel, that the gospel is somehow about me finding my personal calling and fulfilling it. Now, let me just do a disclaimer real quick. If you follow Jesus, you have found your personal calling, and you will fulfill his exact calling on your life if you follow him. But the invitation of the gospel isn't come to me and I'll show you what you're, who you are and what you're supposed to do so you can be fulfilled in life. Uh-oh, that one, that one didn't even go over very well. I think a lot of us have thought that maybe or at least heard that. The gospel of Jesus is that we were lost, dead sinners on the way to eternal destruction and hell, separated from God forever and ever, we had lost, come on somebody, the calling, the reason for life, which was a relationship with God. And Jesus came and died a criminal's death on the cross so that he could take away our sins and open the door again back into a relationship with God. And yes, I promise you, you're gonna, you're gonna find your calling and you're gonna be able to fulfill it if you walk with Jesus, but... But that's not the focus of the gospel. The focus of the gospel is not what's my calling and how can I find fulfillment in my calling in life. The focus of the gospel is what is your calling and how can I bring great fulfillment to you with my life? Not how, what, how can I find my calling and fulfill it so I can feel pleased and pleasure. No, how can I serve you to please you and give you pleasure 
And that's what the, the gospel is. Another thing that I think is a, uh, a false expectation, and it kind of goes along with the one I just said, but it's, um, if I follow Jesus, I'm going to find my niche. Or if you say it bougie, you're going to find your niche, right? Do you say niche or niche? Huh? Niche? Anybody say niche? I like niche. Let's say niche. All right. Your niche, right? There's, and I've heard Christians use this, and I know that maybe they mean well by it. But following Jesus will not necessarily cause you to find your niche. Ask Jesus about that. I doubt that the glorious son of God's niche was this dirty, sinful earth. I don't think he was in his, he didn't find his niche here. Ask Jonah if he found his niche following God. I'm not sure that he, his niche was inside of the belly of a whale. Actually, even more correctly said, his niche was not Nineveh. <laughs> he did not want to be in Nineveh. He did not fit in there. Okay? Peter and Paul, I don't think they found their niche. They all of a sudden were like, yeah, let's eat pork and go talk to the Gentiles that our whole lives were not even supposed to get near them. They weren't. Sometimes following Jesus will cause you to go places and relate to people and do things and say things that aren't necessarily your niche. Sometimes following Jesus will make you not fit in rather than let me find where I just fit in. And so sometimes we just need to lay all that stuff down. We just need to get rid of this stuff in our mind that has been pumped into us by American Christianity preaching. Number two, we're emptying ourselves. Man, ain't nobody shouting and getting happy with this one today. That's all right. The end result will be great joy. Number two, a limited, what I need to empty myself of is a limited and incorrect perspective of God. And I just thought, I asked myself this, and I'm going to ask you this. All right, you all ready? What if a lot of what I think about God and his ways is just off? What if a lot of what I think about God and his ways is incorrect? What if? Because there have been moments in my life where I did think God was like this and this was his ways. And then all of a sudden you realize, whoa, I was off. God isn't necessarily like that, like I thought. And his ways aren't necessarily like I thought they were. His ways, you know, his thoughts are higher and his ways are higher, right? But a lot of times, and I'm, 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 I'm not being ugly about this. I say this with all my heart. And the first person I say this to is me, myself. Have I made a God to fit my ideas? Or am I getting to know the real God through his word? Because a lot of what we do a lot of times is we have these ideas about God or what we think God is like or what we think God should be like, right? Because we think we're right a lot of the times. And we create this image of God that it really isn't altogether him. We call him God. 
But what did the children of Israel call the golden calf that Aaron and them made when Moses was up on Mount Sinai? What did they call it? Do you guys know? When Aaron said, here are the gods who brought you out of Egypt. Do you know what he literally said? This is Jehovah. This is Yahweh, the one who brought you out of Egypt. And it was a golden idol called God by the right name. We need to be careful that the idea and the perspective we have of God isn't something that we are creating or we are, 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 are machinating in our mind. It's something that we're not fabricating, right? But it, that we're truly getting to know God through his word because that's who he really is. And that I am, I'm constantly saying, God, I don't know you. Like I know you, but I don't know you all the way. But I want to know you. I want to know what you're really like, who you really are. I want you to break my limited perspective of you or my wrong perspective. Number three, whoo, the only way I knew how to call this was pet sin. Anybody have a pet? I have two. They're at home with a fever today. Poor things. Getting well because we already prayed. That's all the pets I need. People ask, do you have a dog? No. As long as I'm, okay. As long as I'm still cleaning Oliver, let's just say it that much. I ain't cleaning a dog. Sorry for that rabbit trail. <laughs> rabbit. Okay, pet. Number three. We need to empty my, ourselves of pet sin. And I'm, I want to. Be specific about it, not just sin, because we get all, oh, empty yourself of sin, repent, the cross, Jesus. Oh, okay, no, 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 pet sin. What do I mean by that? Let's just be honest. Sometimes there are sin or habits that we just want to hold on to. You just like it. It's your pet, cute little thing. It may be the language you use. It may be your liberty to post whatever you want on social media, to dress however you want to dress, to drink whatever you want to drink, to watch whatever you want to watch. Because you know, it just makes me feel good. It's my little pet. Can't get many amens. It may seem harmless but it is a deadly python. Now, I have nothing against snakes. I actually think snakes are pretty cool. Liz would never let me, but I don't have any issue with a, having a pet. I think snakes are pet. And lizards, they're cool. I think they're cool. All the guys are like, and the girls are like, eh, right? But I don't know if y'all heard the news. It was like, I think it was about two years ago. Of this lady, let's call her Mary. Let's call her Jessica today. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I'm just making sure everybody's with me. Let's call her Mary. Do we have a Mary in the house? No Marys in the house today. All right. And Mary had a pet python. And they're typically 
I mean, the most gentle, non hot, like the most low maintenance pet you can have. They're typically just kind of like sitting there and you hold it and it's just kind of like, you know, like <laughs> wrap it around your hand. But, but I saw on the news, y'all, that one day Mary didn't show up for work. And then a few days had passed and Mary's brother hadn't heard from her. And she wasn't answering the phone. And so they go to check on Mary and guess where Mary was. That Python had at some point at night when she was asleep and, and, and defenseless, gotten out and, and did what pythons do. She must have had a big one. Because it wrapped her, itself around her and proceeded to have a year's worth of a meal on Mary. And that was the end of Mary. Now, I know that's awful, but come on, bear with me. That's how dangerous pet sin can be. When you least expect, it's fine. It's, it's not really doing anything to me or anybody. I don't really feel the effects of it right now. I know it's in there, right? I feed it a little mouse here and there. But it's fine. It's not going to hurt me. And all of a sudden, you are made its meal. Because that's how the devil works. It's not a coincidence he was described as a lizard-like snake in Genesis. That's not just a symbol. <laughs> There's a lot to that. The enemy, he'll be there in your life. If you tolerate him, if you tolerate the enemy through just holding on to certain sins that you just think maybe this isn't going to really hurt me or anybody else, all of a sudden it will be the end of you. And you never even thought it was coming. You never even saw it coming. That's how we have to deal with sin. That's how I have to deal with sin in my life. When I discover something there that's not supposed to be there, we better go after it with reckless abandon. You better cut that snake's head off and stop making it your pet. It will one day kill you when you least expect it. Empty. Let's empty ourselves of this. Ooh, this is taking a little while today, but we're going to go quicker. Number four, and this one... Whew, have I seen it in myself and have I seen it in many people that, that I've, I've discipled and mentored through the years and many people that they didn't want to be discipled and mentored, okay? And this is the main reason why. Number four, personal foolishness or self-deception, if you want to call that. Basically, when you believe your own lies. Sometimes we don't need the devil to lie to us. Sometimes we lie to ourselves and we just believe it, just go right along with it. <laughs> Listen, have you ever found you just want something to be true? You just want it to be true because it makes you feel good. You just want that to be true because it makes things better. But it's not true. But because you're not willing, because I'm not willing to say that is false and I reject it even though it might make me feel good if it were true. I reject it. I reject. 
It might make me feel good to kind of hold on a little bit to an offense I have against somebody. It makes me feel better like I'm sort of privately getting revenge on them or something. And I believe somehow that it's making me feel better. I'm believing my own lie and it is hurting me. It's personal foolishness. It's self-deception. You're believing something. Sometimes it's believing what you wish were true. But what makes you feel good instead of embracing the truth that can actually set you totally for real free? Truth sets free. Truth doesn't always feel good. Truth doesn't always make me feel good. Sometimes truth makes me feel terrible until I embrace it. And then the opposite becomes true. I have freedom and joy through the truth. Number five. My own agenda. What do I need to empty myself of? False expectations of the gospel. Limited and incorrect perspective of God. Pet sin. Personal foolishness or self-deception. And number five, my own agenda. And the, uh, my own agenda says, what's in it for me? Kind of goes back to one of the first ones. I'll tell you what's in it for you. Heaven. Amen. Eternity. Amen. With God forever and ever and not hell. Amen. To me, I'm sold out. <laughs> That's all I need. And yes, following Jesus, come on, has great benefits. I mean, Jesus told his disciples, if anybody that's given up mother or father or homes or whatever, you're going to receive a hundred times much in this life and then a great reward in eternity, right? But we don't follow Jesus. We don't seek to follow Jesus to just get what's in it for me. Because if I do, sometimes you find yourself following him in obedience to him. And it feels like there's nothing in this for me. Except there really is. You just don't feel it at the moment. It's my own agenda is, listen, this is what it looks like. Serving God as long as it goes along with my plan. Serving God as long as I can do things my way. Come on, I said this over myself and I want you to just declare it today. Declare this, say, my way is in the way. (laughs) My way is in the way of God. And sometimes we just need to lay down our own way, actually not sometimes, all the time to follow Jesus. We just got to lay down, let go of, abandon my way. What's in it for me? What do I get out of it? How does it make me feel and embrace his way? These are all things or categories of things that we must lay down, give up, or empty out if we want to successfully follow Jesus. Not pretend to follow Jesus, but successfully follow Jesus. And Liz is going to help us real quick understand this a little bit more. And then we're going to rush and close out. Had to rush? So, you know, I've been, I've been meditating a lot on, you know, what, the series that is Open Heaven. In the beginning of the year, you know, when Hunter said, heaven is open, and the problem is that we're not positioning ourselves 
to receive the heaven is open. So I've been like really thinking about it. And the Lord has been speaking out to me about emptying myself, you know, because he cannot pour, you know, something on something that's full, right? So I was, I was, God is like, you need to empty yourself and empty yourself. And, and you know, um, I've been, I mean, in church, grew up in church, and I'm trying to figure out what do I need to empty myself of, you know, and, and it's been amazing what the Lord's been revealing to me about the things that I'm full of stuff, you know. <laughs> so, but, you know, it is easy to empty. And God wants us to empty ourselves, like all the stuff that Hunter said. But I can, I feel like God is like also wanting us to empty ourselves of our brokenness, you know, because it hurts. And, when, and, and at some point, he's like, hey, give me your brokenness. Give me the places that are broken, that are not working, that are hurting. And I feel like sometimes we hold on to those things because we think God is afraid of our brokenness. That's how I felt. I felt like, oh, like you, you don't want anybody to see these empty places, right? And you kind, of, you, you kind of like learn how to live your Christian life broken. And we try to hide it because we think, I mean, nobody likes to be showing off your brokenness. Does that make sense? It's not like, hey, here's my broken life. And that's something that we try to cover. But I'm here to tell you that if you are full of brokenness, there's at some point, you cannot receive that fullness. Because your house, you know, it's, it has stuff there. And it's not going to come to the fullness. Because I've asked myself, why am I not, if heaven is open, why am I not experimenting the fullness? You know, there's something off here. So uh, I just want to encourage you tonight, today, tonight, today, your broken business, it's okay. He's not afraid of your broken. He's not afraid, he's not afraid of my brokenness. And I've heard God telling me, hey, give it to me. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of, your, of the ugly in you. Because ugly is what we try to cover up all the time. Also, wait, hold on. <laughs> no. Come on, empty. <laughs> you know, and this is what it takes. Like, really, it's taking some, like, you have to, to think about this. Sit down and meditate on the Word of God, you know, and not just, like, you know. So, he also wants, we have to empty our addictions. These are very secret stuff that we have. But I'm here to tell you, God is not afraid of your addictions. I don't know if you have um, prescription addictions, pornography addiction, sexual addictions, even weird behaviors. <laughs> addictive weird behaviors. So if you're addicted to social media, or if you're addicted to your phone, or if you're addicted to a person, you know, like, um, let's dig deep. You know, he's not afraid. He's not afraid. Of, of your addiction, of my addictions, of my things that are not functioning correctly. So I just want to encourage you today, empty yourself. Say, hey, here's my addictions. Here's my addiction to pornography. Here's my addiction to this person. Here's my addiction to fear or whatever you're struggling with. Now, God like speaks to me a lot in pictures. But I feel like God has been telling me, like, get rid of your pet sin. And I thought about Twinkies because they're good, but they're not. You know what I'm saying? Eating one feels good, but you cannot live of eating Twinkies and be healthy. Does that make sense? So these things do not look harmful, but they are harmful. And I feel like God has been speaking to me because I was like, okay, God, so 
I think I've given you my life. I serve you. I'm a, uh, I'm a pastor. I'm trying to be a good mom. Like, what else can I do? You know, like, <laughs> anyways. So God has been telling me, hey, those things that, you, that look good and they're not very harmful, you know deep inside of you that they're harmful. And I, I'm just going to be like, in my life, that lack of discipline, those things that I allow myself, you know, like, that, that, are, that look good. And really, you know, you can even say once in a while, it's not bad. But you know, when you eat one Twinkie, you cannot just eat one Twinkie. You need to eat two. And that's how sin works. How this bad sin works. So I don't know what's in your life. Is it? Some sort of, I don't know what is it, you know, maybe lack of discipline, maybe at the time, you know, just not like, not having the discipline of reading the Bible or not having the, the discipline to pray or not having the discipline of controlling your mouth, you know, or controlling your thoughts, you know, or, or like Hunter said, like gossip. Now, I don't know if you've seen any Mary Kondo thing on TV lately. Have you seen, you know, the organizer, Mary Kondo, is that how you say it? Marie Kondo, you know? So I've been like, search, you know, I've seen some of her episodes because I'm like, whoa, organizing and all this stuff. It's cool. And, and it's good, you know, organize your house, clean your house, but most of all, clean your heart and clean your soul. Because, you know, it's, it's funny how now it's like a, like a trend, you know? Like, man, I didn't know people were craving organization so much. You know what I'm saying? It's like, whoa, like people are craving this and like crying and all this stuff. But I, I really reflect <laughs> that they need to crave more of the organization in the soul. That's what makes sense. Fixing your drawers is not going to fix your soul and your heart. You know, but I reflect, it's a reflection of it. You know, I'm not saying it's good. I want you. I'm not going to say don't fix like. As long as my heart is good, I don't have to fix my house. No, I'm not saying that. But this is what I'm telling you. This, her method does not apply to the way God cleans us. Because this method is telling people, hold your stuff, and if it sparks joy, you keep it. But if it does not spark joy, you throw it away. But this sparks joy. So because it sparks joy, you think you can keep it. Do not let Mary and her method deceive you. The gospel and the word of God does not work that way. Right. But we live our life like that. Oh, well, but this, this makes me feel good. So it must be God. Yeah. Doing this makes me feel good. So I think God wants it for me, for my family. You know? So it does not apply. This does not spark joy. I mean, this sparks joy, but I still need to empty myself of it. Okay, so now it got, it's going to get very intense. Okay, are you guys ready? Okay, so in my life, personally, it's easier to get rid of those things, the ones that seem harmful. But God has been telling me, you need to empty yourself of the idea you have of me. And I'm like, it took me years, you know, <laughs> to get into the word, to understand, like, your love, for example. And I feel that God's been telling me, listen. The moment you think you understood my love for you, you define it. Because you said, this is how much God loves me. And you put it in a box. So, there's, there cannot be more growth in you. Because you think you have it all together. 
Because you think, you know, okay, I know God loves me. Good, good. You just put God in a box. We just, let's you just put my love in a box. And I'm like, oh, I get it. <laughs> you know? So I've been really doing some cleaning inside of me, in my house. Because I feel that when, when, when you have grown in church, sometimes we get to a point that we think we have it all together, even though we don't say it. Doesn't make sense, but we're like, well, I know God. I read his word. This God is big and God is great. And we start putting God in a box. And, and I also think that then we start putting, like, Christianity, like, in a mold. This is how church should look like. Because my revelation, my years of experience, this is how it should look like. So this is what I expect. So you just put God, you just put the gospel in a mold. And we confine what cannot be contained, what cannot be described. Well, we will never be able to understand and comprehend until we go to heaven because God is supernatural God. But our human minds always try to compartmentalize. Yes, that. You know, because we try to make sense of things because we're humans. But we cannot comprehend and finish understanding the depth and the width of the love of God, of who he is. So I was like, okay, you know what? I, whatever I expect church should be, whatever I expect the gospel should be, I'm going to empty myself of that because there has to be more. Yes. Amen. And, I, and I'm going to preach for the charismatics here. <laughs> Maybe you put revival in a mall. Well. This is how it should look like. Because... This is how it happens when the Holy Spirit moves. We can't define God. We can't define how he is going to move, contain it, put it like in a box or in a shape. But that's what we do. I mean, that's what I've done. And that's what I'm trying to get rid of. So I'm to, I like, I've decided like this week, I've been like, empty myself. Empty myself of who, I, you know, I empty my, my knowledge of who I think you are. My knowledge of, and revelation of what I have because I put it in boxes. Because it's good. You know, and, 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 and getting rid of this, again, it does not spark joy. Because, but, but that's how religion creeps in. And I don't want to be a religious person. I refuse. But then I found myself, I'm like, oh, I'm like trapped in religiosity. You know what I'm saying? So I have to be like, oh, okay. So I'm emptying myself, emptying myself, even though it doesn't spark joy. How about control? You know? It's good until it's out of our control. And it doesn't spark joy to empty yourself of control. Oh, I like this one. Mm, well, you know, it's like our perception of things, our judgment of things. You know, we, we, we think, we like, we don't call ourselves like judging, but we do all the time. You know, because these are not my glasses, these are breeze. But this is how it is, you know. Our perception is 
from this world. And we're trying to define spiritual things through our own lenses. So we see a situation, things that happen, and we're like, okay, let me see. Oh, no, this is. Oh, gosh. But literally, like, these are not my glasses. You know what I'm saying? But this represents the flesh, and we so distort it. And we're like, no, this is how it should be. This is what this person should do. This is what this pastor should have preached. He should have used that verse. He used the wrong verse, you know. Or this person, that, that should have been sold that way. Worship should have done this way. You know, the eager person should have done this. They should have done it here. And we, I mean, don't we do that all the time? Well, I, you know, and I'm trying to empty myself before I make a quick uh, judgment. Because that's how it is. To empty myself, oh wow, I'm still like, <laughs> I don't want to break it. And last one, our plans and our time, you know? Like, is how really are we really emptying our time, agenda to the Lord? The Lord has been like speaking to me a lot about this. Is he really the first one? Is he, if he really, is, it, is my time empty for him? Is my planner empty? Is there room for him? Or, I, or am I giving him my leftovers? In the week, is it he my priority? Is it empty? Hey, where do you want to come? Not really. Like, it sounds crazy, but this is how it should be. This is my week, and I sit down and plan my week. It should be like, Lord, what do you want to do? Where do you want to put yourself here? Have your way. But instead, we write everything we need to, we want to, we think, so, we think to do. And then, oh, psh, no time for the Lord. But I know he cares about my health and my family. Anyways, it does not spark joy. But we need to empty it. Don't be deceived. Not everything that sparks joy. You should keep it. I want to thank everybody for being uh, patient today with a longer than normal message. We had shorter than normal worship and a longer than normal message. And what I want to do to begin to bring this to a close is I'm going to change gears real quick. Are you all ready? I'm going to go quick with this one, all right? I want to encourage you just kind of changing gears in this whole thing we're talking about. It's not only or always just about emptying the bad to be filled with the good. Sometimes it's a matter of using our limited natural resources in order for God to somehow transform them into something supernatural. The, the, the inverse of what we've been talking about is also true. Because look, sometimes widows feed prophets. Sometimes widows provide for families. Like the second widow, listen, she, when he, she was asked in 2 Kings, Elisha asked her, what do you have in your house? She said, nothing at all. And maybe that's what you think. I have nothing at all. But God can use anything we offer him in faith. Anything, even if to us it's nothing at all. Even if to everybody else it looks like nothing at all. Whatever you offer him in faith, whatever you're saying, this is all I've got. It's nothing at all, but I'm going to empty it. I'm going to give it. He's able to use that. 
Don't think you're unimportant. Don't sell yourself short. If these two widows were used by God because they were willing to empty themselves, they were willing to get rid of what was in their house so God could move, how much more can he use you? It doesn't appear, as I mentioned earlier, that the first widow received the Lord's instruction until she was presented with Elijah's need. Remember, he said, I've told, I've instructed a widow to feed you. And then he goes and he asks her to feed him and she didn't seem to know that. But then she does it. Sometimes the Lord's direction, sometimes the Lord's instructions and his call come in the form of a need presented to us. Like happened to this widow with Elijah. Sometimes God's call comes in in the form of a need that we can help to fill. And even if it seems like something little, offer your flour, offer your oil. And I know that that's symbolic, but offer what you have for him to use. Because you guys, it's not, it's, let me phrase this right. It's about not waiting. Come on, let me say that again. It's about not waiting until all the circumstances line up, until you have everything you need, until your life is totally in order and you have all the resources you need and the time that you need and, you know, everything's fixed and everything's going good so that then I can serve God. So that then can God, it's about not waiting on that. These widows didn't wait until they had, they simply emptied what they had. And God was able to use it. It's about, some, listen, sometimes the, the, the circumstances isn't, are not going to line up. And sometimes the resources that we need to serve God may not appear. But we do have what's in our house. We do have what we have to offer, be it little, to serve God. I love how Elijah, he said, bake me my bread first. In other words... I'm not going to serve God when, fill in the blank, I'm going to serve God now. Not when my marriage becomes perfect. Not when my kids get older. I'm, I'm going to serve God when I'm out of debt. Oh, Lord. Why did everybody laugh on that one? I'm not going to serve God when, fill in your own personal situation. I'm going to serve God now. Bake my bread first, he said. In 1 Kings, the widow had to pour out her water, flour, and oil and use it to feed Elijah. In 2 Kings, the widow had to pour her oil into something that, come on, was naturally empty. Something that was empty in order for God to do the impossible, right? Sometimes the way God wants to use you is he presents you with emptiness. He presents you with a need. In both stories, the widow had to offer, use, and pour out what she had in order for God to move. Sometimes, and this is what I felt the Lord saying over many of you, and, and I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm closing with this, okay? Sometimes, I think this is actually in your outline because I heard the Lord say this so clearly over our church. Sometimes we're just one step away from walking in a powerful anointing And that one simple step is to just obey and use what we have. Sometimes God is just calling me to pour in to maybe, hey, maybe an empty jar is an empty person. An impossible situation. Somebody that doesn't have any hope. 
or bless somebody that I might not have much, but I have something to help somebody else, right? And I'm uh, willing to empty myself and give that to help a person. The amazing thing is, at the end of the day, both widows ended up with more oil than they had when they started. After they emptied themselves, both of them ended up with more than what they originally had. Because, y'all, that's what God is like. That is what God is like. Wherever our oil gets poured out, we always end up with more. Whenever you pour out your oil, you'll always end up with more. And finally, you can actually stand to your feet on this one, if you will. 2 Kings chapter 4, the oil stopped flowing. The oil stopped flowing when the widow stopped pouring her oil into empty jars. When I stop pouring, the oil stops flowing. When I stop emptying myself, I stop experiencing the fullness of God. This is fullness through emptiness. And today, the question is, what is in your house? 